What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Hardwood Handicappers Podcast. They're a bunch of guys who ain't never played the game, and they never got the girls in high school, and they just want to get in the game. With your host, Jonathan Von Tobel. See, the thing is, you guys look at me, you see the backwards hat, the uh, gray socks, the funky outfit, and you say, now this guy's a chump, am I right? No. Only on the VSIN Podcast Network. Hey, what's up, folks? Welcome in. It's another edition of Hardwood Handicappers. I always appreciate you taking the time to tune in. So, uh, a little bit of news about the podcast before we get started with the actual show. So, a little bit of change, if you have noticed, uh, in terms of when this podcast is going to come out. I've uh, got a lot of stuff, of course, uh, to take care of on my own when it comes to some workflow stuff. So, I've decided to alter the schedule a little bit here when it comes to the recordings of the podcast. It also just makes life a little bit easier. So, uh, we're going to switch up the schedule. Fridays will be uh, the podcast with me, more than likely going to be solo on the Friday editions uh, of the podcast. Uh, and then starting on Tuesdays, just because this is the way that's worked out so far, and just reaching out to people and getting... Uh, in trying to get guests, that Tuesdays might be a little bit better in terms of days to have some people on the podcast. So... We'll have two episodes a week now on Hardwood Handicappers, Fridays and Tuesdays. Those Tuesday episodes uh, will more than likely always feature a guest of some sort. So really looking forward to that because I do want to get a, you know more voices on this podcast. If I feel like uh, you guys and gals out there listening to this, it probably gets a little old just listening to one voice for about 20, 25 minutes or so. Uh, I know I've gotten some positive feedback on the show, so I always appreciate that. Anything you have to say, and negative too, I'll take criticisms, um, but... And mix up the flow of it a little bit and get some more people involved in the podcast. Have some guys on in the past that we've had on before, Raheem Palmer, Tom Byrne, Aaron Renning, uh, Baby Tug Gazarian as well. So uh, this will be a, a little bit and more. Uh, but this will, I think, changing the workflow up a little bit will add to it. And it gives us a chance to, two times a week, to touch on a little bit more topics, right? Uh, like, you know, it's it's funny when you look at this from a weekly standpoint, you know, the NBA changes every single day. It's a day-to-day sport. Teams play three four times a week. Uh, so in a, a podcast 
that comes out once a week is not as good. It's not as evergreen, has a shorter shelf life than doing one twice a week. So I think we're going to start to try to do that, and we'll see if we can add some more voices. So I appreciate uh, the patience in terms of the change here. Uh, again, you know, with a lot going on behind the scenes personally, uh, for those who don't know, getting ready for a second child to come in on the way. So uh, this will make my life just a little bit easier doing it in this format. So with that, let's get to the show today, and it's going to be a fun show. Uh, a lot of good stuff to talk about, and I wanted to start with uh, a little bit of headlines before we get into some big picture stuff in the NBA. But first off, I think, and really it was kind of a quiet week in terms of headlines. Uh, we do have two things to discuss, though. First off, uh, Zion Williamson cleared to participate in contract drills, the team that announced that back on Tuesday, the team being the New Orleans Pelicans. Pelicans also said that Williamson is going to undergo further medical imaging on November 24th. So that's about uh, five days from now, right before Thanksgiving. It's going to determine whether he will be available to be cleared for full team workouts. So, look, he's still he's still a while away, but New Orleans needs him badly because the Pelicans are shaping up to be one of the worst teams in the NBA without him. They're two and fourteen straight up, six and ten against the spread. Their ATS record as of Thursday tied for the second worst cover rate in the league at thirty seven point five percent. That's along with the Lakers, the Hawks, and the Raptors. Magic and Rockets are the two worst teams, for those who are wondering. They've only covered 33.3% of their games through Thursday. So no, November, as well, has been particularly awful for New Orleans. Friday, 1-8 straight up, 2-7 against the spread, negative 11.5 negative net rating. And so there, there's like, there is nuance to this, right, like with how bad they have been. For example, Brandon Ingram has played in just three games this month. He came back on Monday, that loss to the Wizards. He's not making them that much better, though. When he's on the floor, they have a negative 8 net rating, 106.4 per 100 points or per 100 possessions on offense, 114.4 points allowed per 100 possessions on defense. And when he's off the floor, it's just their offense gets much worse. Their defense stays exactly the same, 114.1 defensive rating when Ingram is off the floor, but it's the defense which suffers, goes from 106.4 to 101.5. So, with Ingram not there, look, like they're a slightly more competitive team. But with Ingram on the floor, you're still getting outscored by eight points every 100 possessions. So this team isn't really good. And if they're this bad now, right, how much better does Zion Williamson make them? And on defense, it's probably not going to be the case that he makes them any better, right? If you go back to last year, they gave up 113.9 points per 100 possessions when he was on the floor, right? It's right in line with what they're doing right now. They allowed... Uh, 99.3 points per 100 plays in the half court with Zion Williamson out there. So, again, they're going to be a pretty poor team defensively. But big difference is their offense, man. Their offensive rating, 116.2 last season with Zion Williamson on the floor. A five That's a 5.5-point bump every 100 possessions for their offensive rating. Dominant rim team, 44.8% of their attempts came at the hoop. Shot 64.9% within four feet. So Zion clearly changes them from an offensive standpoint, makes them so much more competitive on that end of the floor. Defense is still going to suffer, but, you know, circle these. When Williamson comes back and he starts to get back into the flow of things, gets healthy, because, again, you know, we always talk about this with injury. Guys coming back from injury aren't impactful just like that, as I snap my fingers. But this is going to be maybe uh, more of an over team as we look ahead to the second half of the season once Zion Williamson comes back, right? Because he's going to add to the offensive end. They're still going to be just as bad on the defensive end, but they're going to become lethal on the offensive end of the floor, and that's really going to help. So far through 16 games, they're 5-11 and 11 to the under. A lot of that has to do with how bad their offense has been. But with Zion back, you know, we're probably going to see a good push on Pelicans overs once he's back and fully healthy and in the fold. And maybe not on a minutes restriction, because that's the other thing too, is are they going to treat him with kid gloves and put him on a minutes restriction when he comes back? So 
That was a big headline of the week. The other is that Evan Mobley suffered a sprained elbow. It's funny. The last episode on the podcast talked about how, hey, man, Evan Mobley, um, man, this guy has all the attention of the NBA world. Mentioned in almost every single podcast. Bet him at 3-1 to one to win Rookie of the Year. And then he gets a sprained elbow out for two to four weeks. So uh, he's still in the running. Two to four weeks is not going to hurt you in any way whatsoever for Rookie of the Year. We saw it last week or last year, right? LaMelo Ball uh, plays about, what was it, 54 57% of the season ends up still playing a uh, winning rookie of the year. So this isn't, if you're out there, if you bet on Evan Mobley, if you followed in my footsteps right last week after I bet on Evan Mobley and talked about it in the podcast, we're still good. We're still in contention. We're still going to be fine, even if it's on the long end of that four-week run, uh, or excuse me, timetable. I think he'll be just fine. The worry now is he comes back and he's not as effective, but Mobley is still a fantastic candidate. And by the way, it's represented by the odds. Like DraftKings, for example, haven't really budged on his odds. He's still plus 275 to win the award, right? A little bit off of that 3-1 to one price that was out there last week. So Mobley is still going to be fine. History tells us that missing time for Rookie of the Year, as long as it's not an exorbitant amount of time, like the year that Joel Embiid, you know, probably should have won it, but only played in about 40, I think it was 46% of the games that season. Like, right, that's going to hurt you. But right now, two to four weeks is a perfectly manageable timeline. So wouldn't really punt on the fact that Evan Mobley isn't going to be available for a little bit of time. Having said that, from Cleveland's perspective, right, I think last week we mentioned that Cleveland was probably on the verge of having this thing fall apart a little bit. Yeah, that's the case. They've lost three straight. They haven't covered any of the three games, depending on where you got with Brooklyn the other night. If you missed what happened there, Darius Garland fouled on the final attempt of the game with about 16 seconds left. It was an and-one opportunity because he hit the bucket. Uh, so then got the free throw after that game fell right underneath the number of nine and a half, or excuse me, 10 and a half, 10. So it either pushed or got right inside that 10 and a half, depending on the numbers that you were looking at in that contest. Uh, but this is a, this is a Cleveland team that is really up against it. Got absolutely demolished on Thursday night by the Golden State Warriors. It was an absolute throttling in that contest. If you looked at Steph Curry scoring 20 of his 40 points in that game, which we're going to talk about Curry in this podcast too, and getting outscored by 36, uh, 36 to eight in that that quarter, man, that was absolutely nuts the other night. So, so those are the two big news stories. Zion Williamson cleared to participate in contract uh, t- contact drills. We'll see when he comes back. And Evan Mobley of the Cleveland Cavaliers spraining his elbow and in a little bit of a tough spot when it comes to the rookie of the year, but not willing to give up yet. So, with that in mind, kind of wanted to take a broader picture look at stuff now that we're a month into the season, right? It's November 19th. We're officially a month in. Uh, we've seen quite a few basketball games. So what does that mean uh, for the futures market? What that means for some other stuff like valuable player and other awards? So I wanted to take a look team-wise, futures market, finals, you know, finals to win that, not finals MVP, uh, and then most valuable player and a couple of other awards markets that have taken some shape right uh, throughout this time that we have seen basketball being played. So this is the Hardwood Handicappers podcast. Interact with the show on Twitter at me, JVT at Roach underscore 97 and at VSIN live. Parents, if you've ever experienced bedtime battles with the kids, I'm going to let you into a little secret. I'm Abby, a mother of two, and I had these battles myself. Endless excuses, delay tactics, and many tears and tantrums. But I've created a solution. The perfect kids podcast that makes bedtime a dream. It's called Koala Moon and it's hosted by me, Abby. With over 300 episodes packed with original stories and sleep meditations, Koala Moon makes bedtimes easy and enjoyable. Episodes start out engaging and really rather magical, but as they progress, they gently slow 
to a calm and relaxing place to have your little ones out like a light. Since launching in 2022, Koala Moon has helped with over 20 million nights sleep and received over 6,000 five-star reviews. Win back your evenings. Listen to Koala Moon now on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Parents, ready to discover a new educational and interactive podcast for kids? Join Stories for Kids by Lingo Kids, where episodes are packed with fun activities. Right, Elliot? Oh, yes! We learned how to recycle at the beach. That was great fun. Callie, what do you say? It was. And that time when we did the science experiments and Billy made raisins dance. That is so cool, Billy. He did. <laughs> Not to mention when a certain Elliot took up swimming classes with Lisa. That was me! <laughs> Bet you can't catch me. I'm going to get you. All this fun and more in our Stories for Kids. Lingo Kids Stories for Kids is now available on StoryButton, the kid-friendly device for screenless podcast listening. Listen to Stories for Kids on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's start with the futures market when it comes to winning the NBA Finals. So I don't think it would be any shock that where you want to start here is the Golden State Warriors. 7-1 at the Westgate Superbook before the season tipped off, the day before the season tipped off, to win an NBA title. Now down to 5-1 to one to win an NBA title over at the Westgate Superbook. And when you look at other spots like DraftKings, the Golden State Warriors also down to 7-1 to one, down to, seven to, one to win the NBA Finals. And this is warranted. And I will say this time and time again. So if you read any of the NBA guide, um, you know, projected the Warriors to be a late-blooming team, right? Because Clay Thompson thought they were going to be a middling 500 team. Their numbers last year really represented it, especially in the numbers without Curry on the court, right? Uh, they were a pretty poor team. But Steve Kerr has done a tremendous job with this squad. Their bench has been much better, at least in terms of maintaining uh, some level of efficiency, offensively when Curry is not out there, when Curry's off the floor, plus 0.9 net rating this season. So the bench has been so much better. And defensively, this is by far and away, a lot of people thought that the Miami Heat were going to be the best defensive team in the NBA. No shot, baby. It is the Golden State Warriors that by far are the best defensive team this year. Defensive rating of 100.1 in non-garbage time minutes, according to Cleaning the Glass, that is first by a long shot, 3.2 points better than the second place team in defensive efficiency, which is the Los Angeles Clippers. They are first in the league in net rating at this point right now at plus 13.5. And the biggest, biggest surprise for me is the fact that they are third in offensive efficiency at 113.6. This is, folks, this is a legitimate title contender. And I, I'm surprised to say at this part of the season, right? Figured we'd be talking about this post-All-Star break when Clay Thompson's back fully healthy, All-Star break under his belt and ready to go for a playoff push. Not right now. Clay Thompson right now is the cherry on top. 
because this Warriors team is legitimately good, man. When you have Steph Curry out there, when you have Draymond Green playing the level that he is, and it's not in, look, those two are going to get a lot of the headlines. And we're going to get to Curry because we're going to talk about MVP. But when you look at some of the role players around them, like they have been serving their roles extremely well. Andrew Wiggins, very quietly having a solid season. 17.7 points per game so far this season. On the year, shooting 48% from the floor. The 32.9% from three really needs to improve, right? Wiggins needs to get much better in terms of what he's shooting from beyond the arc. But he's shooting an efficient clip inside the arc, averaging that 17.7 points per game. He's been absolutely tremendous as a second leading scorer for the Golden State Warriors. And then Jordan Poole. Poole's been really solid in his time as well. 16.5 points per game at this point right now. His efficiency needs to get a little bit better. If you're looking at shooting from the floor, 42.6%. If you're looking at three-point shooting, which has been kind of surprising, 28.6% for Jordan Poole at this point of the year. Now, you know, his, he's taking a lot more. Last season, he had 276 total three-point attempts. Through one month, he's already got 119, right? So his frequency of attempts is skyrocketed up to this point, right? If you're looking at pool, just look at the overall averages, right? 8.8 his rookie year field goal attempts per game. 40, uh, excuse me, 9.3 field goal uh, attempts per game last season. And then 14.4 field goal attempts this season. So a really big jump there. And he's gone from 5.4 three-point attempts a game last season to 7.9 this season. So you expect a little bit of a dip there. I would expect that the efficiency kind of evens out with Poole in terms of his shooting numbers. It's actually probably why we've seen him dip in the markets to win sixth man of the year, most improved. But Wiggins and Poole have done their job from a scoring standpoint, at least. And, you know, I think you want a little bit more on the offensive end from these guys, right? Like we talk about how this team has done a pretty decent job when Curry gets off of the floor for them. Most of that, though, comes from the defensive end of the floor. Like, this is a legitimately good defensive team uh, with or without Curry on the floor, right? But if you look at the numbers for Golden State offensively when Curry comes off the floor, while they still outscore opponents by, I said, 0.9 points per 100 possessions, it's because they're only giving up 103.1, right? Their offensive rating actually plummets to 103.9, and that's a really big deal. And ultimately, that's probably going to hold them back in some contests before Klay Thompson comes back. But that's the thing. If Klay Thompson comes back and he's anywhere near his old self, especially defensively, imagine how good this team gets defensively with Klay comes back in that form. But all of a sudden, Andrew Wiggins becomes your third best player offensively. Jordan Poole becomes, you know, the fourth guy in terms of what you need from offensive output. Damian Lee becomes the fifth guy in what you need from offensive output. Draymond Green still your best defender. Klay Thompson right next to him. Like there's a lot that this team has to offer from that end. And you're still seeing the emergence of young guys too. Like that's the other thing, right? Jonathan Kaminga has only played nine games up to this point, but he's been very solid for them as of late. He only played seven minutes against Cleveland Cavaliers, but he had some good, he had 19 really good minutes against the Brooklyn Nets, shot 50% from the floor, had six rebounds, seven points, right? He had four fouls pretty quickly or three fouls pretty quickly, but you're letting him grow and you're letting him learn. He had a great block in that game as well, James Harden. So you're talking about these young guys still developing too on top of the return at some point of Clay Thompson, which is floating around Christmas. So the move from seven to one to five to one, absolutely warranted for the Golden State Warriors, man. They are a legitimate title contender. And right now, for me at least, the best team in the Western Conference, bar none. Like that's not even a question. So uh, the other teams that have moved the board, we'll focus on a couple of them. Uh, but just to give you where we've been and where we are, the Utah Jazz, for example, over at the Westgate Superbook before the season started 14 to one to win a title, uh, now at eight to one. The Denver Nuggets. See, this is surprising because we're going to talk about Nikola Jokic and the Nuggets at length. 
but 25 to 1 to 16 to 1 for the Denver Nuggets. You would assume a lot of that is uh, hinging on the fact that Jamal Murray is going to come back at some point and Michael Porter Jr. is going to be healthy. And then the other is the Miami Heat, 35 to 1 to 14 to 1. And again, that's not surprising either, right? Given what we know from Miami up to this point, uh, they have been, of course, one of the better surprises in the NBA, 11 and 5 as of Friday. Plus 8.6 net rating is the third best in the NBA. They're fifth in both, both offensive and defensive efficiency in non-garbage time minutes, according to Cleaning the Glass, scoring 112.9 points per 100 possessions, giving up 104.4 points per 100 possessions. And I think this is, this is again, it's a really quality team. But I, the one thing that has bothered me with Miami in terms of the big picture, right? The big picture being that, you know, competing for the Eastern Conference title, right? Competing for an NBA Finals. It's on the offensive end. And I get it. Look, I just said they were fifth in offensive efficiency. So you're probably like, well, what are you complaining about? They have two 20-point-per-game scores in Jimmy Butler and Tyler and Tyler Hero, right? Bam out of Biles floating around 20 points a game at 19.7 per. So what are we talking about here when it comes to that? Well, here's the problem. And maybe Kyle Lowry starts to step up a little bit, but my problem with the Miami Heat is the drop-off in offensive production once you hit that bench, right? Because if you look at this, Tyler Hero, yeah, is their second leading scorer. He's coming off of the bench. But after that, when you're talking about the offensive output from these other role players, you're down to 10.9 points per game from Duncan Robinson. Robinson, of course, has been uh, scuffling a little bit in terms of his three-point shooting, only 33.6%. Markeith Morris has been missing time since that Denver uh, flare-up right against the Nuggets. He's only averaging 7.7 points per game. Actually, is averaging more points per game than P.J. Tucker at 7.1. And then you're talking about Max Drews, Caleb Martin, Dwayne Dedman, all asking these guys to perform on the offensive end. And we're talking about 6.9 points per game for Struess. Martin's at 5.5. Dwayne Dedman's at 5.3. So while these are all some quality role players, Dedman specifically has been really solid for them in limited minutes, it just worries me a little bit when you get to the bench how poor this bench has been at times, right? And that's kind of the problem. Outside of Tyler Hero, again, outside of Tyler Hero, right? Hero's been incredible, but your bench is literally one guy in terms of offensive production, and it drops off significantly from there. And that, And by the way, I just want to mention, that's a great problem to have. Right? Like if that's your only problem is, oh man, we only have a 20 point per game scorer coming off of our bench. And we don't know where the rest of our depth is coming from, right? That's pretty good. But to me, it's just when your rotation is six guys, when it comes to just legitimate dudes that you could depend on, on the offensive end of the floor, that's really, to me, that's bothersome. That that's, that kind of sticks in my craw in terms of competing with some of the better teams in your conference. And ultimately, if you get there, the NBA finals, whoever comes from that, right? But they could get by on this. I just talked about the Golden State Warriors being, bar none, the best team in the Western Conference. And this is with a limited bench production as well. Difference between Miami and Golden State is, at some point, you know you're getting a Clay Thompson back. And Clay Thompson changes everything in terms of what we know he is as a player. The Heat don't really have that coming at any point whatsoever, right? Yes, Marquise Morris is hurt. Marquise Morris is not going to come in and give you 15 to 20 points per game. So that's going to be, for me, what ultimately holds me back. But if you're talking about rank the teams in the Eastern Conference, they're in the top three because who are you going to put in there, right? The Chicago Bulls. The Bulls have their own issues, and that leads us to them too, by the way. The Bulls go from 60-1 to before the season started to 25-1 to to win the NBA Finals. Completely understand this move here. But the Bulls' issues, I think, are worse with their bench than what the Miami Heat are dealing with. And this is something I've kind of harped on a little bit when it comes to the Chicago Bulls. When it's like, hey, 
let's run to bet this team to win an Eastern Conference. Let's run to bet this team to win a division. The problem with Chicago is that bench is not good, man. They are 28th right now and bench scoring at 25.2 points per game. Yes, Kobe White's back, so maybe that improves it a little bit here. But go back to their blown game against the Portland Trailblazers, right? The Trailblazers come back from a 15-point half-point deficit or halftime deficit, and part of the reason was in those bench minutes, the Chicago Bulls were getting next to nothing, and they had a total of 20 points from their bench in that game, 5.2 points less than their season average at this point right now, and that is going to be a problem for Chicago. I don't think their defense is going to last in terms of how good it has been. Uh, Chicago right now, they are sixth in defensive efficiency at 104.5 points per 100 possessions allowed. But I think if you look overall at some of these showings, right, for example, the best offense uh, they've faced in the last few days go to the Portland Trailblazers, who put up 115.6 points per 100 possessions. That's their offensive rating. It's not a really good odd. That's not a good defensive rating for Chicago. The blowout in Golden State last Friday, where their defensive rating in that contest was 117.6, right? The competition against Philadelphia when MB was out there, 121.3, right? They give up 114.3 defensive rating to the Boston Celtics in that game that they won, 128 to 114 that the Celtics blew. So there's just these little things, right? These little things that have been sticking out there with the Chicago Bulls, where if you look at the opponents and some of the top tier offensive opponents in which they have faced, they have defensively kind of taken a little bit of a step back. Now, to give them credit, they had that game against Brooklyn, which they caught on the second leg of the back-to-back, uh, in that fourth quarter, which they were dominant, and they held the Nets to 94.8 points per 100 possessions, or less than a point per possession in that game. So they've had showings, good showings, defensively against solid offensive teams. But I think, again, when you're talking about stretching these sample sizes out to 30, 40, 50 games, at what point do we start to see the real identity of some of these teams? I think you're going to start to see, at least from a defensive standpoint, Chicago start to take steps back in the overall leaderboard in terms of defensive efficiency. And then those bench issues become a little bit more glaring, right? So look, I think I'm still going to be wrong on Chicago. I think they're solidly a top five team from a seeding perspective in the Eastern Conference, given the way the rest of the conference looks at this point right now. But I think again, and that depends on who their matchup is going to be in the first round. It it seems like it's going to be a short-lived life once you get to the postseason, just because of what I perceive to be the shortcomings of the Chicago Bulls. So I totally understand them in terms of the odds shrinking. Liability is probably growing on them at some books, including the Superbook, which are using some of these numbers. But I just have a hard time kind of buying into that with Chicago. And the last but not least, the Washington Wizards, at least in terms of we're talking about teams that are moving up the odds board to win the NBA Finals, right? So we talked about the Warriors. They go from 7-1 to before the season started to 5-1. to The Jazz go from 14-1 to to 8-1. to The Nuggets go from 25-1 to to 16-1. to the Heat have gone from 35 to 1 to 14 to 1. And these are all over the last month. Bulls go from 60 to 1 to 25 to 1. And then you get the Wizards. This is more fun than anything. 200 to 1 before the season started to 80 to 1. But if you read any of the work, if you listen to the Eds uh, this week, because the Wizards were a topic of conversation in a couple of the games at Best Bets, the Wizards have a clear problem on their offense. They are not a good three point shooting team. And in today's NBA, that is going to hold you back more often than not from an offensive standpoint, right? At this point right now, uh, again, as of Friday, Washington Wizards got them at 25th in three-point shooting percentage, 33.1%. That's just not going to work in today's NBA, man. Like You have to be able to shoot the ball if you're going to be a good offensive team. And like, look at the teams that they are among, right, in terms of three-point shooting. Detroit is last. Oklahoma City is second to last. Denver is 28th. Boston is 27th. Houston is 26th. 
Cleveland is just above them at 24th. Orlando is 23rd. Those are not teams that you want to be mentioned in the same breath as, right? Yes, the Denver Nuggets, but again, we'll get to them momentarily. But that is a massive problem for Washington on the offensive end. They can't shoot. And so maybe they're in the running to acquire a shooter of some sort at some point. But they have not shot the ball well. They don't really have a lot of guys that can shoot the ball well. Davis Bertans is, yes, he's been shelved and he's been injured, but Davis Bertans is not helping you get out of 25th in the NBA in terms of three-point shooting, right? You might improve you by a percentage point, maybe two, but that's not going to fix what ails you. And the other part of Washington, and this is something I pointed out in their game against Charlotte during the week that has stuck out from their defensive um, their defensive prowess, right? Because their defense has been great. Top five in terms of defensive efficiency uh, right now in terms of defensive defensive efficiency as of Friday. I should probably slow down when I talk a little bit, right? Uh, fourth in the NBA at 104.4 points per 100 possessions. But they're one of the worst rim defenses in the NBA. They give up a lot within four feet of the basket from a shooting percentage standpoint. And if you looked at their game against the Charlotte Hornets, in which the Charlotte Hornets, of course, are a team that lives off dribble penetration, loves to get within four feet of the basket and kick it out to open shooters. Charlotte Hornets got to the rim quite a bit in that contest, 21 of 31 in that game within four feet of the basket against the Wizards. They ultimately lose that game to Charlotte. So that's kind of my thing with Washington. They're a super solid team. You know, I've mentioned it, and I think it's almost insulting, so I've changed it. You know, there are a whole bunch of B players, man. Like, there's a bunch of C-plus B players on that squad. But at the end of the day, this team clearly has its flaws. And I think you'll start to see them start to make their way down the standings too, right? And by the way, as of Friday, right, they, they've lost two straight games. They had their five-game winning streak against some lesser competition. Uh, but ultimately, they lose that game to the Charlotte Hornets. They get beat up by the Miami Heat the day after that. They get a rematch with Miami on Saturday. So we'll see how that goes. But I think we're going to start to see those flaws stick out here for the Washington Wizards as the season goes on. They should be in the range of a playoff team, 6-7-8 seed, right? But at the end of the day, I think we know that this team is a little bit better or excuse me, a little bit worse than the record as indicated up to this point. So those are the teams that have moved up, the notable teams that have moved to the Futures board. I only want to talk about two teams that have moved down the Futures board. This is the Hardwood Handicappers Podcast, only on the VSIN Podcast Network. Parents, if you've ever experienced bedtime battles with the kids, I'm going to let you into a little secret. I'm Abby, a mother of two, and I had these battles myself. Endless excuses, delay tactics, and many tears and tantrums. But I've created a solution. The perfect kids podcast that makes bedtime a dream. It's called Koala Moon and it's hosted by me, Abby. With over 300 episodes packed with original stories and sleep meditations, Koala Moon makes bedtimes easy and enjoyable. Episodes start out engaging and really rather magical, but as they progress... They gently slow to a calm and relaxing pace to have your little ones out like a light. Since launching in 2022, Koala Moon has helped with over 20 million nights sleep and received over 6,000 five-star reviews. Win back your evenings. Listen to Koala Moon now on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Parents, ready to discover a new educational and interactive podcast for kids? Join Stories for Kids by Lingo Kids, where episodes are packed with fun activities. Right, Elliot? Oh, yes! We learned how to recycle at the beach. That was great fun. Callie, what do you say? It was. 
And that time when we did the science experiments and Billy made raisins dance. That is so cool, Billy. He did. <laughs> Not to mention when a certain Elliot took up swimming classes with Lisa. That was me. <laughs> Bet you can't catch me. I'm going to catch you. All this fun and more in our Stories for Kids. Lingo Kids Stories for Kids is now available on Story Button, the kid-friendly device for screenless podcast listening. Listen to Stories for Kids on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And really, we don't want to spend a lot of time on the Los Angeles Lakers because we always talk about the Los Angeles Lakers, the collectively. And they're really not that worth because here's the thing for me, right? You know, if you go back to two years ago, you know, when I had that futures ticket in the Orlando bubble on the Miami Heat at 80-1 to to win the NBA Finals that I bet December of that season, you know, you could see the writing on the wall. The market had, like, the market had not caught up with how good Miami had been. But you see sometimes that the market will react in the futures market, right, in terms of winning the NBA Finals, to teams that are going through slumps or teams that are experiencing injuries, and the odds will get well, the odds will worsen for that team to win an NBA Finals, right? So case in point, the Los Angeles Lakers. Lakers have not had LeBron James for over 50% of their games. He's going to return on Friday against the Boston Celtics. We'll see how that goes. But they go from 4-1 to one to win an NBA title to 12-1 to one to win an NBA title. The problem is, right, this is not one of those instances where you're looking at that and going, all right, cool. Market's overreacting because LeBron James hasn't been playing. This is clearly a better team when LeBron's going to be out there. There's some value in a number like that at 12 to 1 because I just don't believe that's the case right now, right? This is not a good team. 25th in offensive efficiency at 104.5, 19th in defensive efficiency at 109.6. And if you want to make the argument that, yeah, you know what, LeBron makes them better, you know what, They're, statistically, that is accurate, right? With LeBron James, now, off the court, according to cleaning the glass so far this season, if you look at it from a net differential standpoint, net rating with the Los Angeles Lakers minus LeBron James, negative 8.8. Their offensive rating, 102, and their defensive rating is pretty bad. It's actually about, like, what, 110.7, right? When you put LeBron James on the floor, and this is going to make the difference here, is from a net rating standpoint, they go to, sorry, I'm pulling up my notes right now, they go to a plus 3.8. So a negative 8 net rating to a plus 3.8. They're clearly a better team. Their offense gets a little bit better at 110.6. Their defense at 106.5. So they're clearly a better team, right? Clearly a better team when LeBron's out there. But again, those are in the LeBron minutes. And still, when you look at some of these lineups, if you put LeBron James on the floor with Anthony Davis and Russell Westbrook, right? The net rating for this team, it's, it's plus 2.5. Right? Like that's not a title contender. Their offense, 107.7, it's a defense that operates at a pretty high level with those three out there. One of the main lineups that they've used with LeBron James, Russell Westbrook, Ken Bazemore, 
Anthony Davis, DeAndre Jordan on the floor with him. 104 possessions played as of Friday with that lineup, a negative 11.3 net rating, an offensive rating of under a point per possession at 99 flat. Like Those are not numbers for a title contender. So maybe there's room for this team to get better, and there probably is. LeBron James one of the best players in the world, as we know. But if you're looking at 12-1 to 1 and thinking like, bam, value, I'm in, the Los Angeles Lakers, I just don't think that's the case. I don't think that's the case. The Lakers' numbers are always shorter than they should be. When I look at this team, I think I see a team of a, with a statistical profile that should be much closer in the range of 20-1 to 1 than it should be 12-1. to 1. So while that number has inflated, I would definitely caution anybody about investing in it at this point right now. Now, having said that, there is a number that I do think out there is worth investing in at this point right now when it comes to winning the NBA title. And that would be the Milwaukee Bucks at 10-1. to 1. Because the Milwaukee Bucks are the quintessential team that I am talking about. You know, the other day, Matt Brown on Primetime Action, one of my colleagues of Easton, asked me, you know, are, are you worried about the Milwaukee Bucks? Are they going to start to take this seriously? The Bucks haven't been able to take this seriously, right? Chris Middleton just returned after an eight-game absence for the first time the other night, right? They're finally whole. Drew Holiday, Giannis Antetokounmpo, and Chris Middleton have barely played together this season. And you're still missing guys like Dante DiVincenzo and Brooke Lopez when it comes to injury and availability. So when you're talking about the Milwaukee Bucks, if you're worried about them, you really shouldn't be, right? Because their problems have been availability as opposed to production. And then you look and you say, okay, well, at the Westgate Superbook, they were 7-1 to to win the title before the season started. Well, now they're 10-1 to to win the title. Well, if their issues are just health and availability, it leads you to believe that once they get healthy, they're still a pretty damn good team, right? And that's totally the case, man. Like, if you look at some of these numbers, again, this is short sample size because they haven't even played together all that often. But let's put Drew Holiday, Giannis Antetokounmpo, and Chris Middleton on the floor together this season. Net rating for the Milwaukee Bucks with those three on the floor together, plus 19.8. Think about that. Outscoring opponents by 19.8 points per 100 possessions. Only giving up a point per possession. Offensive rating of 119.8. When this team starts to get healthy yet again, they are one of the, they are, no, actually at this point right now, if they're healthy in the Eastern Conference, they're the best team in the Eastern Conference. So now I'm looking at a Bucks team that is slowly starting to get healthy, whose odds have inflated because of absence and poor play at this point, because they're played in guys like Jordan Nawara 25 minutes a night, because they have to. This is, I to me, this is a really solid value shot with the Milwaukee Bucks when it comes to winning the NBA Finals. They were 9-1 to at some spots before the season started. They get to 10-1 to now because of injuries and absences. There is a very strong case to be made. In my power ratings, they are. But there's a strong case to be made that the best team in the Eastern Conference win fully healthy. And it's not like they have injuries that are going to keep guys out the entire season. So the the shot at 10-1 to for the Milwaukee Bucks to win the NBA Finals is absolutely fantastic. All right, let's get to one last thing before we get out of here. And just look at the awards really quickly because, you know, Humans has brought this up a lot on on, um, on the edge. I had a brain fart there. I don't even know where my show is. Uh, and, 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 he's, and he's right. Like the story of the year so far has been the Golden State Warriors. The Warriors have been absolutely fantastic. We talked about that at length right when the NBA Finals uh, just a couple of minutes ago. But let's talk about Steph Curry real quickly because Steph Curry became the favorite to win the, the uh, MVP sometime last week, right? And he absolutely deserves it. And I cannot make a case for anybody else to win this award at this point right now. Save for one person, one person who we'll get to momentarily. 
But to go through this right now, 29.5 points per game, leads the league in scoring as of Friday. 6.1 rebounds, 6.5 assists, and his 30.03 PER uh, rating, player efficiency rating. I hate when people call it per. I don't like it. I don't know why. It's, but it's, it's with everything. I hate when people refer to average depth of target as A dot. Like, it's just annoying. Just say it. Uh, but PER, uh, he is the fourth best PER in the NBA at 30.03. His November has been incredible. 30 points per game, 5.2 rebounds, 6.5 assists. This month, he has four games with 37 or more points, two of them 40-point games. He also has a 50-point contest against the Atlanta Hawks. He has made nine three-point attempts in four games this month alone, and his plus 16.9 efficiency differential, 90th percentile, and his 131.4 points per 100 shot attempts ranks in the 100th percentile of all players. He is, deservingly so, the favorite to win MVP. He has been absolutely incredible. And of course, easy to say, if he maintains even a smidge of this play going forward, he will win the MVP this season. Now, having said that, always looking for value. It's Friday, November 19th, right? The Friday the Friday afternoon games are going on right now. So we've got plenty of time for people to catch up. There is one shot on there, I think, on this board that is worth it at this point right now. Nikola Jokic is currently 10 to 1 or in that range to win MVP. And if we are talking... This is not hyperbole. If we are talking about pure value to his team, there is no more valuable player to their respective team than Nikola Jokic is at this point right now. So from a stat standpoint, checks all the boxes. 26.4 points per game. His 13.6 rebounds per game are second in the NBA. His 6.4 point assists per game are awesome. And he leads the league in player efficiency rating at 36.76. And PER is actually kind of a good indicator as to who's going to win MVP. Uh, the leader in PER has won, I think it's like six out of the last seven or something like that. I'll double check and I'll come back with that on social media. But leading the league in PER is always a good indicator that you're going to win MVP, right? Jokic is in the 98th percentiles, the 98th percentile of players in efficiency differential at plus 29.9. Listen to these numbers with Jokic on and off the court for the Denver Nuggets. This is insane. When Jokic is on the court this season, the Denver Nuggets have a plus 12.6 net rating. Their offense averages 112.3 points per 100 possessions. Their defense gives up 99.7. When Jokic is off the court, the Nuggets have a negative 17.3 net rating. I will repeat that. They go with Jokic on the court, from a plus 12.6 to a negative 17.3 when he is off the court. Their offense goes from averaging 112.3 points per 100 possessions with him on the court to 98.5 per 100 possessions when he is off the court. Their defense gives up less than a point per possession with him on the court at 99.7 when he is off the court, 115.8. All of that adds up to an efficiency differential of plus 29.9 for Nikola Jokic. The fact that this team is 9-6 and six this season is because of him. Michael Porter Jr. has not been playing. We know that Jamal Murray has not been available. This bench is one of the worst in the NBA. Jokic has been downright incredible. And if you're telling me he's a double-digit like shot to win this award, he should be second on this list at the minimum. He should be second on this list. It's incredible what he's been able to do at this point right now. So that's the only value. I think it's a two-horse race at this point. It's Steph Curry. It's Nikola Jokic. There's no question about it in my mind. And that statistical profile of Jokic is, oh my God. It's insane, man. Absolutely insane. 
You know, I, and I did mention too, just really quickly, I wanted to point out this value shot as well. Uh, sixth man of the year. So Tyler Hero right now, the odds on favorite at minus 120. I think that's pretty incredible given the fact that Montres Hero, at one point with basketball references, like fifth choice to win MVP, which he's finally off of that list. Paul George is finally on it, thank God. But Montres Harrell is at 14-1 to 1 to win sixth man of the year. Tyler Hero's been great, as I mentioned. The 20 points off the, the twenty points per game off the bench have been great. But the gap between him and Montrez Harrell being that wide, right, that's a pretty staggering amount. If you're talking about implied probability between the two, 54%, 50, we'll call it 54.5% for, uh, for 54.5%. Is what minus 120 is telling you that Tyler Hero, right? That's the implied probability, 54.5%. Sorry, I'm repeating myself a lot. Montrez Hale at 14 to 1, 6.7%. You're telling me there's that big of a gap between Tyler Hero and Montrez Harrell right now to win sixth man of the year? I highly doubt that. I highly doubt that. So keep that in mind. I think Harrell's worth a shot too in terms of futures play. So though really at the end of the day, it boils down to like three future plays kind of worth looking at right there. The Milwaukee Bucks to win the NBA finals at 10 to one, Nikola Jokic to an MVP at 10 to one. And then Montrez Harrell to win six man of the year at 14 to one with that. Uh, we're out of time. Uh, I've kind of been blathering. So I want to keep this, uh, wanted to keep this short, but we're coming up on about uh, almost uh, 40 minutes now. So won't waste any more of your time. Uh, again, just to reiterate, if you've made it this far into the podcast, we're going to start doing these Fridays and Tuesdays, right? Tuesdays and Fridays. So this is a little bit easier for my schedule. And on Tuesdays, we're going to start to have a couple more guests uh, into the program as well because we want to get some fresh and new and better voices for you guys to listen to out there. So like, rate, review, subscribe. Follow on Twitter at MeJBT. Always appreciate the feedback. You guys have been so awesome. I cannot say enough. Uh, I really appreciate the positive feedback I've gotten this season, last season, about the NBA coverage. It's been a lot of fun doing it, and it's a lot more fun to interact with you guys. So anytime you guys want to reach out on social media and Twitter, I try to get back to everybody. If I don't, I apologize. Just tweet me again, and I'll try to get back to you. But thank you so much. Like, rate, review, subscribe. We'll talk to you on the opening lines on Sunday and again on Tuesday on Hardwood Handicappers. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. 
Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 